All right, let me uh, let me go back and cover just a little territory. Um, uh, just to remind you what we're up to. I, I told you a story last week about the uh, the staff, um, our, our discussion that we had at the staff meeting about uh, things that should earmark, so things that should characterize um, every believer, whether it be a male or a female, or uh, a teenager, or a, a, an octogenarian. Uh, Certain things should characterize us all. We're not going to do everything alike, but a few things. And one of those things was an interest in and a greater devotion to and, and love for personal and public worship or private and public worship. So we're concentrating on that one part, just the private worship. And I said to you, uh, I said to you on, from the Sunday morning, uh, I said, you know, you can't build much of a spiritual life based on my sermons. Uh, if, if that's all you get, then um, you're not going to find a, a great deal of soul development. But um, the soul develops in your personal, individual encounters with God, and that, um, uh, that comes in these, those private times of worship. And so we spent <coughs> uh, the hour talking about certain things. Uh, maybe you'll remember some of the words, per, per, pers, perspicuity. It's a hard word to say, but I mean, those are the some of the, we talked about um, uh, some of the her, the science of interpretation called hermeneutics, and we mentioned nine things. So that was kind of laying the foundation for tonight, and tonight is pretty it's pretty much how to. It's pretty much um, the the nuts and the bolts of putting together your own personal devotional life. Now, guys, may I say, what I have for you tonight is not designed to help you read your Bibles. I think you all know how to read, um, unless, of course, you graduated from Ole Miss or <laughs> Auburn, one of those. Um, but I think you know how to read. It's, it's not that we're trying to help you learn to read. We're trying to help you learn to study. <laughs> You've heard the, the, um, the term devotion, your devotional life or your quiet time. It's not enough to read. What we're trying to give you is enough help that you can become your own personal student of God's Word. We're not trying to make you into theologues. It's just trying to make that time, whatever time that you have devoted to spend with God, to make that profitable for you. Something from which you can walk away and say, um, um, I know God better, um, and it has moved me in a direction inching forth in this whole process of maturation. Okay, so we're talking about how-tos tonight, guys. This is pretty elementary stuff, and I hope I don't insult any of your intelligence. Okay, guys, we're talking about how to, how to, how to develop a, 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 your own devotional life to become a student of God's Word. Let's start with this. Let's start with translations, okay? Bible translations. You're going to have to buy a Bible to do this, guys. And there is a great difference between a translation and a paraphrase. I'm sure you realize that, but um, guys, there are numerous translations of the Bible. The Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. And so uh, they put together teams of people to translate the Hebrew and the Greek. And they come up with a Bible translation. A Bible translation like the NIV or the King James or the New King James or the New American Standard or the New, New English Version. All of those are translations. This is a paraphrase and you don't want one. 
don't buy this. This is a paraphrase. You know what a paraphrase is? They take the English text and they say, well, let me tell you what I think that means. Let me paraphrase it and put it in language that people can understand. The most egregious uh, offender was, of course, the Living Bible that, that probably sold 40 million copies. And guys, um, the man who paraphrased that is a man by the name of Ken Taylor. Ken Taylor would drive, would ride the, uh, the subway, uh, into Chicago, back and forth from his home into Chicago, and he took his Bible and he paraphrased it so that his children could have something to read that they would understand. There's nothing evil about that. In fact, it's commendable. It's applaudable. He had no idea that somebody was going to pick it up and it was turned into a Bible. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> or an, uh, a paraphrase of the Bible. But when you read this, you are not reading the Bible. You are reading a commentary on the Bible. Do you understand that? Guys, if you want to, if you want to have one of these things, I, I think you're wasting your money. But the first thing that you got to start with is a, a, a decent translation. I can tell you this too. Um, John Piper, a name that's uh, respected by many of you, has written a whole paper on his offense with the NIV. Now, um, John Piper is is um, far brighter than I, and but I read his paper, and I thought, well, you know, he's raising enough for me to say I, I probably will steer clear of it. But you got to start by buying yourself some kind of translation of the Bible. Okay, that's number one. <clears throat> number two. Um, I would suggest that you stay away from Bibles with notes. Guys, we're talking about <clears throat> we're talking about this stuff down here in the bottom. This stuff. This is all notes. Um, I, I recommend that you stay away from it because um, this is a group of men's opinion about what this, this is the text, about what they say. And uh, you'll come to a passage that you'll find um, uh, naughty, and so you'll drop down here to the notes, you'll read what is said, and you'll think, well, there you have it. That's what it means. And it may. The notes may be good notes. But, ladies and gentlemen, this Jimmy Young could do this. He could give you his notes on the text. Guys, you're not trying to find out what Jimmy Young has to say about what this means. You're trying to deal with the text, understand it, and let it draw you and lead you to God. So, if you've got a Bible with notes, try to stay away from the notes. Try to, I mean, the, the Protestant Reformation was fought so that you might have the right of private interpretation. Um... The notes might help you, but invariably, it seems to me, that the notes get confused with the text. That is, that you read the note, and then you say, ah, that's what the text means. It might, it might be a, a true rendering of what the text says, but it might not be. It's just, it's just um, this particular editor's opinion. It's a commentary. It's a commentary, and commentaries are useful. You just got to know what they are. But when the commentary is placed inside the text, that's when I think they get dangerous.
Now, as for some tools in your own personal Bible study, guys, I hope this is not insulting you, but if, if you don't have one of these, you need one of these. This is a concordance. There are three concordances available. Um, Young's, no, <coughs> Cruden's, Young's, and Strong's. The, the, the joke is, Cruden's for the crude, Young's for the young, and Strong's for the strong. <laughs> come on, y'all, that's supposed to be cute. Um, but you know what a concordance is? You come, you come to it, you, you're, you're thinking, now listen, I remember there's a verse and it says something like this, and it uses the word, um, idolatry. And so you look up in here and you find the 873 times the word idolatry is used in the book of Ezekiel. <laughs> it's all listed for you in order. But guys, this is a, this is a wonderful study too. You know, most of your Bibles have concordances in the back. They're very limited in scope. You can imagine what this is as opposed to what you've got in the book of your, this is a, a wonderful tool to have. Is a, just a, some kind of concordance that you can use as you study the Bible. This is a Bible dictionary. Vastly different from that. It's a dictionary. It defines terms. For instance, this morning, I was in the book of Judges, where uh, the, the, um, the Levite takes his concubine and, um, and cuts her up into 12 pieces. You know that story? And I thought, you know, it still confuses me as to what a concubine is. Well, you go to this little ditty this little thing here, and it'll tell you what a concubine is. And I read it this morning. Or I read it, actually, I read it this afternoon as to what is a concubine. There it is. There's concubine, and there's, you know, a couple of paragraphs simply defining the term. The Bible uses terms that we don't understand, and so it's nice to know, okay, I'm going to go find out what that is. Do you know the difference between a wife and a concubine? It'll tell you right here. That's a Bible dictionary. Those are helpful in, um, in your own, from time to time. Now, we come to the issue of commentaries. I want to show you something. <clears throat> this is a commentary on one book in the Bible. This is a commentary on the book of Ephesians written by the same man. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten volumes on the book of Ephesians by a man by the name who's one of my, he's called the Prince of Expositors. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a physician. He left medicine. He left the practice of medicine and went and started preaching at the Westminster Chapel in London. And um, if you think I've spent a long time in Romans, you ought to read his sermons on Romans. He is, he's, he's just wonderful. But this is a commentary on Ephesians. This too is a commentary on Ephesians. The whole book. Versus, now tell me, which one would you like to have? <laughs> Um, I have people come around Christmas time. They say, I want to buy my, my husband a commentary. And I say, okay, <laughs> on what? Well, the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Martin, uh, Matthew Henry has done a decent job of putting together a commentary on the entire Bible. It's three volumes. It's a decent work. I mean, it's a, it's a trustworthy work. But it's three volumes on the entire Bible. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote ten volumes on the book of Ephesians. So if you're going to pick up a commentary, there are good commentaries and there are bad commentaries. I shouldn't do this um, because this is really going to ruffle some of your feathers. And, and, and I, I've even thought about asking you to lift your hand. But <clears throat> don't lift any hands. I mean, um, how many? I tell you what, I, I can put it like this. This wouldn't be. How many of you ever ever heard of William Barclay? Have you ever heard? Let's see your hands. Now, this is what I was going to do. How many of you have a William? Don't don't raise your hand. Please don't. Please don't. How many of you have a William Barclay commentary of the Bible in your home? Burn it. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, William Barclay was a was a famous Methodist pastor who di- who rejected the deity of Christ. Did you know that? Did not believe in the inspiration of Scripture, and yet good, sound, sweet evangelicals race to gather William Barclay commentaries on the Bible and read them when they were doing Bible study. Guys, there are good commentaries. There are bad commentaries. Depending on what you want, depending on what book you want to study. I can tell you that basically, if you're going to buy commentaries, you need to buy a commentary per book instead of trying to find something on the whole Bible. Basically, if you find if you if you buy Martin, uh, Matthew Henry, what you're getting is a restatement of the text in ex- understandable language and just a little bit more. That's all you can do in three volumes of the whole Bible, folks. Have you tried to understand the Book of Isaiah yet? I mean, you can you can. I mean, I've got three volumes on the Book of Isaiah by E.J. Young. He's not related, but you see the point. If you want to buy a commentary, then you, you're going to have to do some research as to what's a good commentary, who's a good author, who writes well on the Gospel of John, who writes well on the book of Revelation, who's good in the Old Testament, who's good in the New Testament. It, it varies greatly, greatly, I, I promise you. <clears throat> I think if you've been in my systematics class, I've read to you out of a commentary that is written by a man who all of you know. You know his name. And I read to you a copy of Mark chapter 6 that I took out of his commentary. If you remember where he says in his commentary that Jesus failed. You remember that? Do you want that commentary, ladies and gentlemen? That where the author of the commentary is telling you that Jesus failed? And I'm telling you, it's a name that you all know. So, when, if you're going to buy a commentary, you've got to be somewhat cautious about which one. But they're great aids. <clears throat> when I first became a Christian, um, I became a Christian. I heard the gospel preached in a place called the Greenhouse. The Greenhouse was a Tuesday night meeting of um, young adults. Susan and I prayed to receive Christ the same night. Um, I got an evangelism program. I had been about, I've been a Christian about four months. And the greenhouse came to me and they said, um, we want you to teach a Bible study. And said, well, 
okay. The only thing that I knew existed was this. I had never heard of a commentary before. Jim Bland, a dear friend, stuck a commentary into my hand on the book of Galatians written by John Stott. Now, let me tell you something. If you're ever going to study John Stott, excuse me, if you're ever going to study the book of Galatians, if you're ever going to teach the book of Galatians, get a hold of Stott's commentary on Galatians. It's one volume, and it is wonderful. Very. John Stott is an Anglican, still alive. Um, but all I'm saying is, that got me through the Bible study, that one commentary. If you want to study a book personally, then it might be wise for you to go out and get, um, get yourself a good commentary. But understand, as you use the commentary, you're reading somebody who is as fallible and as sinful and as broken as you are. We're all broken, folks. He just, he just um, has a job where he writes a commentary on the Bible, which is a wonderful thing, and I'm glad those guys exist, like Lloyd-Jones and John Piper and John Stott and numerous others. Okay, now let me give you a strategy. If you've never started before, guys, let me, let me outline a strategy for you. If this is new to you, if, if some kind of uh, dedicated time to devotional life is new to you, let me suggest, that's all I'm doing, let me suggest a strategy for you. Number one, you need to use the best part of the day. That is, uh, some of us are good in the mornings, some of us are good at nights. Some of your, maybe your best time is at night, maybe you're, but whatever time you're going to give to this, this, this time with the Lord, make it your best, your best minutes, either morning or night. Maybe, I can't imagine somebody being afternoon, but morning or night, um, you're going to, you're going to need to be in a place where you're undistracted. So when is that for you? I, I, that's, that's, that's your call. You'll probably need a notebook and a pen. Guys, don't be, don't be silly. Don't be, don't be afraid to mark in your Bibles. I have people saying, well, I don't want to do, well, of course you can. I mean, you know, you can get another one after you got that one filled up. Um, mark what you, and, and it is wonderful to write your own impressions. Guys, we're not looking, oh, I, I skipped something. I need to go back just real quickly to mention daily devotional guides. You know, the, the, um, uh, the family altar or the daily bread or there's a couple of more. And then there's table talk. Let me just suggest. Those things are iffy, all of them. But if you're, if you're going to use one, and a lot of you do, and, and table talk is head and shoulders above um, the daily bread or uh, the family altar. What are those? Upper room, I think. Uh, there's all kinds of little things. They're, they're nice little devotional thoughts, but... Um, uh, nothing is a substitute for your own personal study. Um, but, but table talk is far and away. Uh, trust me on that. And then go get you one. They're out there. Um, okay. Now, best part of the day, you need a notebook and a pen. Write yourself. Write a journal. Uh, write your, I've got so many notebooks that are filled with just, just my own thoughts, my own babblings about as I deal with the text every morning. Just... Write something down. It'll help you think it through and think it clearly. Um, I, I would suggest to you that you pray before you start and after you finish. You pray something like this. Open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your law. Amen. And then close with prayer. Um, <clears throat> guys, 
if this is new to you, if you've never done something like this, here, here's a way to start. I've been handing this thing out for 25, oh, 35 years. Seven minutes with God. If you, this gives you some instructions as to how to, to plan <clears throat> seven minutes. Now, I know everyone's busy, but I bet you got seven minutes. That, that's what, that's what the design of this is to, is to, it, is to get the seven minutes. And here's my prediction. After you spend seven minutes, you'll spend 15 minutes. And after you spend 15 minutes, you'll spend 20 minutes. And after 20 minutes, you'll spend 30 minutes. Um, but this is a good start. And by the way, if you want one of these, they're up here. They can cost you 50 cents. Or if that's a problem for you, I will pay for it. But this is a, this is a good little brief pamphlet that will help you plan seven minutes with God. Um, <clears throat> now guys, Martin Luther was the first to, um, to propose this, but, but I, I have my own. What I mean by that is this. When you're sitting down with the text uh, of the Bible, you want to ask yourself some questions. Let's say you read John 6. John 6 will keep you busy for months. I mean, it's just, it's just incredibly profound. Most of the Gospel of John is. Here's what Martin, Martin Luther suggested that you ask yourself as you're dealing with the text. Number one, what in the passage can I praise God for? Number two, what sin do I need to confess as a result of reading this passage? Because there's always plenty around. Three, what should I ask God for? Those are Martin Luther's. Those are not mine. I have my own. But they're, but they're good questions to ask. Okay, as I read that, that John 6, now that I'm about to close in prayer, what can I praise God for? Number two, what sin do I need to confess as a result of having read that, this, this passage? And, um, and then third, what should I ask God for? Every time you read a, a passage, those are three good guiding questions. I have my own, and let me read you those. I don't know that I don't think they're as good as Martin Luther's, but here's what I do. Um, <clears throat> what do you want me to know about you in this text? What is there in here that I should know about you? That I should discover about who you are? Secondly, what failing in me? is exposed by having read John 6 or 1 Corinthians 11 or whatever. <clears throat> Third, how do I obey this text? And here's my fourth question. What in this text leads me to Christ? What's in here that's pointing me towards Christ? Because, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is on every page. <clears throat> That's a little bit of hyperbole, but um, what is it in here that gives me a greater appreciation for who Christ is or, or Christ is or what He did? Um, <clears throat> let me do this too. I've, this is available to you free of charge. Um, I put this together, guys. This is my own opinion. If understand, this is my own opinion. Take it or leave it. 
But those of you who have started trying to read the Bible through from front to back, usually by the time you get to Leviticus, it's over. Um, and you're feeling guilty because you didn't make it you know, through the Bible uh, this year. So what I've done is I've put together an order for you, a sequence for you. Now, there's 66 books in the Bible, and I only have 27 here. But it's in the hope that you'll read these things through, um, be encouraged so that you can go back and read the other um, 39 books. But this is just a, a suggested order that will keep your appetite wet and, or, or your, whatever. It'll keep you thirsty for more. These are mostly um, historical books. And that's not completely true because I've got the book of Psalms in here. By the way, l- l- let me tell you how I do it. This, um, I, I wouldn't recommend that you repeat this, but this is, I mean, or duplicate this, but this is what I do. I read the Bible through constantly. I'm always reading through the Bible. When I finish, I start over. And I've, I've probably read the Bible through 75 times. But I, I start over like this. I start at Genesis 1-1, Psalm 1-1, and Matthew 1-1. And so I just start reading. You know, I read in three different sections of the Bible uh, all the way. And, you know, I always go much slower in the Gospels than I do in, say, uh, the book of Acts or first, because I don't want to leave the Gospels. I don't want to leave the Psalms either. You know, I, I, I've said this to you before that if if um, if the um, if the postmodernists ever take over and put me in jail, and they allow me to have only one book of the Bible, I'm taking the book of Psalms with me. I'm not taking Romans. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I love the Psalms, and so I read them slowly. And when I get to 150, I'm sad because I got to go to the book of Proverbs. I like the book of Proverbs, but I don't like it like I like the book of Psalms. I love the four Gospels, and so I take my time because you cannot get enough exposure to the person and work of Jesus Christ. You can never get enough. And so I'm in, I'm in <laughs> I, I reluctantly just finished, John, I'm in, about, I'm in Acts uh, 4. I was, at, I was in Acts uh, 3 and 4 this morning. So that's the way I do it. But here's a suggested order for you. If you like it, you're welcome to it. That's free. The other thing's 50 cents. Um, <clears throat> all right, guys. Let me let me read you my questions again. Um, damn it. Here's my four questions. What do you want me to know about you? What failing in me is exposed by this by this text? How do I obey this? And um, what in this text will lead me to Christ? Because that's where I'm supposed to end up. Somewhere with Jesus Christ. To be a God-centered person, ladies and gentlemen, is to be a Christ-centered person. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for everything that will take me to some kind of insight to who he is, what he did, and what he is to me. Now, guys, that's a plan. You can start with the seven minutes. You can, if if it expands, you can use some of these tools. You can go in this order that I have for you here, um, if you like. But gang, let me let me close with this. Um, This may have been really no help to you at all. I hope it is. But um, 
I really don't think the, the thing that is missing is a strategy. I think basically you're intelligent people and you could have probably figured all this out by yourself. I don't think the, 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 the thing that's really missing is a new kind of sequence to read the Bible in. I think the thing that's missing is motivation. That's our problem, ladies and gentlemen. You know, I've, I've, um, I've used this before. It's kind of a wickedly mean thing to do, but, uh, you know, I'm kind of wickedly mean. Um, you know, you've, I've, if you've been around Grace Band very long, you've heard this before. I say, I say, okay, uh, you folks. How many of you in here, how many of you in here believe everything that you read in the commercial appeal? I mean, how many of you think that everything that's written in the commercial appeal is true? You know, no hands go up. And then I say, okay, how many of you in here believe that everything that you read in here is true? All these hands go up, you know. And then I say, this is with the wickedly mean part. I say, then how can you explain spending more time in that which you know contains lies than you do in that which you know is absolute truth? Isn't that wickedly mean? But guys, there's the issue. It's a lack of motivation. The issue is not really strategy. The issue is, uh, the thing that's missing is motivation. Um, and, and may I say to you, um, um, don't be quick to offer your opinions about what the Bible says until you've become a student. You, you need to be a student of this book. It is the thing that God left behind to reveal himself and to, and to outline what he loves and what he hates. So be very cautious about offering opinions about what it says until you've studied it. Once you have, then you, know, you have more of a, <clears throat> I guess, a, a permission to offer what you think it says, which, which guys, that's, that's, that's something we're all looking for. Because we have the right of private interpretation. Now, finally, guys, even if this book were boring, and I, I submit to you it is anything but boring. Now, there are hard parts in it. I mean, I'm telling you, I struggle with the book of Isaiah. It's a, it's a hard book, um, at least for me. But even if the book were boring, then I think it needs to be studied in the name of duty. If that's the only, that's the basis of the motivations, but if that's all we've got, then do it for that. But we come knowing that God expects us to know Him. Let me read you one, um, one statement and then I'm done. It's in John 17, guys. If you've uh, if you've never heard this, this is you, you know this is <clears throat> this is in the high priestly prayer. You know we talk about the Lord's prayer, well the Lord's prayer that you and I recite from time to time. Jesus never prayed that; he taught us to pray that. That's in Matthew chapter six. This is the prayer that he prayed. This is Jesus. It's called the high priestly prayer. It's uh, recorded for you in John seventeen, and he says this. Jesus is speaking, and he says this in verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
pretty simple. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is eternal life. That we might know Him. Now, what's, what is there available to us to allow us and permit us and in, in, enable us to know the God who made us and found a way to save us? It's this book. So even if it were boring, which it is not, but even if it were, if the only motivation I had is just pure duty, then appeal to that. Do it out of duty and ask God to forgive that your heart is cold. Um, all of our hearts get cold, guys. We all go through dry spells and, um, you know, less than spiritual delight. Confess those as just, God, warm my heart back up. Um, because the very essence, I mean, Jesus, the essence, the heartbeat, the guts, the hub, the center, the access, whatever you want to call it, the whole kit and caboodle of eternal life is knowing God. And he gave us a book to know him. So I hope some of this will help you get started. If you've never started, we've got some tools for you up here. Let's pray. Our Father, I, I do pray that you will stir your people to the, to the point of finding, squeezing out at least the seven minutes as they begin to discover the great exhilaration of meeting with you in their own private confines. Lord, speak to us all. This is not about writing sermons. It's not about conducting Bible studies. It's about knowing you. And so use your word to explain to us who you are, what you're like, what you've done. And might we find ourselves racing to the beauty of the gospel over and over again as we find out that your disposition is not one of anger. Your disposition is one where you wait. You wait to extend grace and mercy to people like us who don't deserve it. So, Father, might we find you in the blessed sentences and pages contained in a book that was written and inspired by your Holy Spirit. We, uh, we ask all of this, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.